Hello, it's Evan Knappen here, and you're listening to Gun Lawyer. So, let me tell you folks, I'm sure you uh, watched and paid attention with great interest to the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And that case was really quite a blow to the anti-gunners and those that want to go at our right to self-defense, our right to have semi-automatic firearms. I mean, just look at it. No longer can that question be raised, why does anyone need you know, an AR-15 or why does anyone need a so-called assault firearm? Because all you have to say is Kyle Rittenhouse and you see exactly why you need it, to defend yourself against mobs, mobs that are encouraged by the left to burn and loot and create mayhem everywhere you know those mobs so we've seen that answer to that question but in the fallout in the fallout from the trial and people actually observing the behavior of the prosecutor in that case a lot of folks became just really disgusted and beside themselves over the games that were played and the uh, unprofessionalism that was exhibited, even in the gun handling itself by this prosecutor in the infamous photographs of him pointing the gun with his finger on the trigger at where it was not pointed in a safe direction. And, uh, you know, other than him trying to do his uh, remake of uh, Alex Baldwin, uh, I think that it was pretty outrageous. And I've seen that kind of behavior before. And it's definitely problematic. And what's happened is it's it's inspired, interestingly, some folks to put forward what is being called Kyle's Law. Now, you know, the aunties and others, you often see they'll take somebody who is, quote, a victim of gun violence. Of course, it's gun violence that they're a victim. You know, and make some law and give it their name and do whatever. But, you know, uh, that kind of thing can go both ways, and that's what we have here. We have Kyle's Law. And Kyle's Law is a very interesting idea. Uh, it was put forward in Oklahoma, and I believe we'll see it in plenty of other states. Uh, being proposed. And the Oklahoma senator that put this bill forward is a fellow by the name of Nathan Dom. He's out of, he's a Republican out of Broken Arrow. And it's Senate Bill 1120. And it's designed to ensure that victims of malicious prosecution are able to receive compensation. Now, that's an interesting concept because lots of times prosecutors have immunity and are very hard to uh, sue. And in this case, what the bill proposes is, is it says that when, when a homicide is determined to be justified, and the accused establishes that they have sustained injury due to malicious prosecution, that person will be awarded fair and just compensation. 
It further states that to support this claim, the claimant must establish that the prosecution was instituted or instigated by the prosecutor by the prosecutor and was without probable cause that the prosecutor had legally and finally been terminated in favor of the claimant and that the result uh, as a result of the criminal prosecution and that the claimant sustained injury and then it says about malice which is interesting if you heard Kyle give his interview with Tucker you heard him say that he believed it was with malice by both the statements of Biden and others malice may be established if the motive for the prosecution was something other than a desire to bring the offender to justice or that it was one with ill will or hatred or willfully done in a wanton or oppressive manner in a conscious disregard of the claimant's rights. And under that legislation here, the prosecutor, get a load of this, folks, may be held personally liable to a claimant if malicious prosecution is established. Now, I uh, just want to give credit. I gleaned a lot of this from an article in Breitbart, and Breitbart's great aggregate news site and such. And so you may want to check them out. But uh, think about this. The ramifications of a Kyle's Law would be to seriously put prosecutors on notice as to whether they would prosecute law-abiding citizens that have exercised their right to self-defense. And it seems to be an important check on the abuse of power that takes place when it comes to this self-defense issue that's more and more important. Because look at what Kyle had to go through, even though he was eventually exonerated. I mean, it's just horrible. And now, you know, his recourse may in fact be to statements made by uh, Biden before he was uh, president and Statements made by the media, you know, smearing Kyle and all that. But this law actually focuses on the prosecutor themselves, which is the one that ultimately makes the decision on whether or not to prosecute. So it seems to be a well-placed idea. And it also really shouldn't necessarily just be limited to self-defense with firearms. I think any any of the gun laws or criminal laws where individuals are prosecuted and win, why shouldn't individuals who are acquitted get compensation for the f- bad charges that were placed against them? I mean, it's common in civil suits that if an individual sues and then no cause of action, that uh, attorney's fees get paid. And you see attorney's fees get paid all the time in matrimonial matters, right? And even domestic violence matters that are civil in nature. Why aren't attorney's fees paid in the criminal case? Why is it that the individual is completely at risk to have to defend themselves on the charges and then after successful defense, when the government has unlimited resources and the citizen has to spend their private resources uh, 
and they're acquitted, that there isn't a compensation. I think that alone would discourage a lot of frivolous prosecution and prosecution criminally when the cases are weak and not just one where they want to throw the dice and go to a jury trial because, well, what's the worst case? They lose, but the individual still goes through the shredder of the justice system to get to there. So I think that compensation idea, and if it can be started with a Kyle's Law, I think it should go even further. And you know, there are some areas in criminal law, very few, but there are some where you can actually get compensation if you're wrongfully prosecuted. And one of those areas is actually in the gun laws. They're actually as part of little known and utilized, but it's there in the uh, Gun Owners Protection Act to protect dealers. And if there's a false, uh, you know, malicious or uh, et cetera, where you can show that this prosecution was brought and you're successful in defeating it, there's actually a way to get legal fees paid by the government on criminal charges. So that's really the goal, and that will have great impact. And, of course, the mere proposal of this in Oklahoma has created quite a stir, so much so that individuals, even in, like, the state of New Hampshire, have already started decrying it and making it something that they want to scare the constituency about so that it doesn't happen. And one of the folks who wrote something about it is a is a legislator named Catherine Rogers, and she's you know known quantity on the left. And uh, in her uh, piece that she wrote, she claims that, um, and this is uh, from her, that if the proposal were to become law in New Hampshire, it would effectively ensure that anyone claiming self-defense will have a protective barrier around them against anyone questioning whether, in fact, their claim is valid. A protective barrier. Well, I'm all for protective barriers when individuals act in self-defense, actually. And then gee, further states that Kyle's law would require the jury instruction on self-defense and include a special question to the jury. And uh, it says, if, if you, the jury, are, acquitted, uh, are acquitting this defendant on the grounds of self-defense, do you also find that the prosecution failed to disprove self-defense by a majority of the evidence? Well, that's interesting. And then if the jury answers that in the positive, the defendant is entitled to compensation not only from the state, but from the prosecutor personally. And additionally, the charging police officer will be held accountable as well. This is what she claims. So there's some interesting claims. I don't know how true those claims are, but it, in a way, the, the turning around of the liabilities here isn't a bad idea because we're dealing with something that's a constitutional right. And why shouldn't our constitutional rights be given that presumption? We have a constitutional right to self-defense. It's one of the constitutional rights that Heller, in the Heller case, 
that found the individual right to keep and bear arms also discussed the constitutional right to self-defense. And being that it is a constitutional right, why shouldn't it have a protective barrier? Why shouldn't it have recourse if your rights are violated because you properly exercise self-defense and still were prosecuted for it? Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And of course, that's one of the reasons why you know, the left hates it. Because they don't want to see us empowered with our rights, especially rights concerning firearms, and our rights to defend ourselves, and our rights to keep their arms being intact and respected. They're at war with our rights. They're at war with us. And they want to do everything they can to lessen and remove our ability to have those rights. And this is what makes this so vital and important that we stay informed and that we monitor what they're trying to do to us because at every turn, even when things are being promoted that are extremely advantageous to the enforcement of our Second Amendment rights, they're there trying to stop it and trying to take away you and I believe in so strongly. So when we come back, I have some great listener questions I think you're really going to enjoy. And um, we'll see you right after the break. Bye now. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey folks, I want to thank you all for listening to Gun Lawyer. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you tell your friends. This is our voice here that we can help defeat social media. Constantly wants to shadow ban and algorithm me to death. And I want to make sure we get this information out to you so you can be protected. I get a lot of great communication coming uh, to me about the show. And um, one of the folks here sent an interesting question, 
and I like it. And this is from Anthony, and Anthony says uh, his question is whether an antique World War II pistol with no firing pin and for show only is still considered a worry gun. Now, a worry gun itself is an interesting concept. Worry gun are guns that you may worry about. And as gun collectors and gun owners and such, we may have acquired firearms at different times and said, hey, is this actually potentially a problem for me or not? Um, And those guns we call worry guns. And I'm able to often leave folks fears or worries by knowing the laws and all the laws, and I can tell you whether a gun is actually a gun that you need to worry about. Now, this firearm here that Anthony questions about a worry gun, well, I don't have the details, but what it says is, number one, it's an antique World War II pistol. Now, that is somewhat of a contradiction a little bit. Because antique firearms is going to be something pre-1898. There's also other factors involved. So I don't know why it would be an antique World War II. But a World War II pistol, many folks might consider to be, quote, antique. But technically, it's not antique. Technically, it's, it's a modern firearm. Guns from World War II, handguns from World War II, are still considered to be modern Firearms. So if it's a Luger or a P-38 or a 1911 or a British Webley or whatever, they're still considered modern, not antique. But the removal of a firing pin, generally speaking, at least particularly in New Jersey, doesn't really matter so much because operability isn't a key to legality. What is a key to legality is are you possessing it under exemptions? And the exemptions or exceptions include possession in one's home. So if you have a World War II handgun and it is in your home in Jersey, then you're exempt for the possession of the handgun in your home, even in New Jersey. So that's really the key. And the fact that it's World War II or antique or not antique or has a pin or doesn't have a pin, bottom line is how you are you possessing it? And if you're possessing it in your home, then there's a specific exemption regarding possession in one's home. And that's the key to it. That's the key to it all. See, there's a lot of things that are counterintuitive in New Jersey. And this is, applies outside New Jersey. You need to actually know the law of the jurisdiction that you're in because I'll tell you some things that may surprise you about New Jersey. Number one, registration is voluntary in Jersey. Yeah. There isn't even a law that can be, where an individual can be charged with, quote, unlawful possession of an unregistered handgun. There's no such thing. You see, handgun registration takes place in New Jersey on the, acquisition on the purchase or transfer of the handgun in New Jersey on a purchase, pistol purchase permit. That's where it takes place. But it's not mandatory 
that any gun you possess be registered. It's just guns that you acquired on a pistol purchase permit are ones that get registered. So a gun that's been inherited, like this old World War II pistol from this person's father, there's no registration required on that. You can possess that unregistered firearm. The only question is, are you possessing it lawfully by being within the exemptions? And you see, that's how it works. So one of the ways to not have worry guns is to understand the law and understand whether the gun itself is something to be worried about or not. And the way to avert the worry is to know the law and know that you're legal and what makes it legal. And here, what makes it legal is where you're possessing, where you're possessing. And if you're possessing in the exemptions in the home, then you're covered. And that's how these things need to be addressed. Now, I have another letter from a listener has an interesting question, and this is from William. He says, Evan, if SCOTUS finds a way, finds a New York carry law unconstitutional, would that have any impact on prior convictions in New York and New Jersey for simple carry without a permit or cases like Shanine Allen? And the answer there is it might. It might, because if someone has a conviction, they may be able to go back on what is called post-conviction relief and get the matter turned around, get it thrown out based on constitutional argument, depending on how the court rules. I mean, the court could say it's not retroactive in its application, then it wouldn't be able to. But assuming they don't do that, and they simply find that it's unconstitutional and there was an unconstitutional conviction, then, yeah, you should be able to go back and try to get any of these convictions reversed using post-conviction relief techniques. And um, you've seen that happen. Uh, I've seen it before. I had a, a case with an individual who, whose prior record was that he was a medical doctor and he had performed um, abortion when it was illegal. And then the law was uh, changed and it was found constitutional. Putting aside whatever your beliefs may be about abortion, the fact is what he did was constitutionally protected. And therefore, he was able to get his um, conviction on the uh, abortion uh, turned around. And, you know, if it's unconstitutional, and it was unconstitutional at the time, then you have good arguments here to get that accomplished. And I can well see that as a possibility here, depending on how the court actually rules. Now, Patrick sends me a letter, and I think it's a good issue here. It says, listening to your podcast and when our carry permits are struck down as unconstitutional. Won't our legislators just make quick work of making new requirements and a very, very high permit fees to almost do the same thing uh, at limiting the numbers issued? And I wouldn't put anything past the legislators trying to make it as difficult as possible to still get a carry and try to create laws to do that. But it's going to depend on what this decision says because if the decision is broad enough and 
clear enough and looks at even these other issues maybe that may become part of what's covered by a protection that is applied outside our home, that maybe even their attempts at new restrictions will fail. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. And they're going to have to tread very lightly and carefully here, uh, especially once justifiable need is eliminated, which has been this court-contrived test where you basically have to show self-defense before you need self-defense, use of deadly force before you need deadly force. Once that's shot down, then yeah, they, they could try to make fees really high, but I know a lot of folks that'll spend whatever as long as they can get the license, right? And they could try to create, you know, educational requirements or testing or you know, all kinds of hoops and loops to make it as difficult as possible. And they may very well get subject to serious challenge. But there is one other factor, and that is, constitutionally speaking, once it's established as a constitutional right and they try to pull these maneuvers, then they can be responsible for legal fees. Then they're going to have to pay fees and costs for the challenge because it became a constitutional rights violation. And so there may be that there, so they'd be less inclined because as they try to still pass these unconstitutional laws, they'll end up paying through the nose for doing it. So there may very well be uh, some great advantages here in terms of its, of its impact. I have a question here from George. George asks, regarding the Rittenhouse verdict in the Bruin case, do you think the outcome of Kyle Rittenhouse will influence how SCOTUS rules in the Bruin case? I doubt that it will influence because it's not really before the court. But assuming the judges followed it and observed it, I mean, there might be some... some influence just in argument or thinking but it's not going to be what determines uh, I believe their decision their decision is looking at very specific constitutional tests and factors and that's what's going to go into it once they decide it and depending on what they decide then I'm confident you'll see impact from the court decision itself that will blend in with issues that may have appeared in the Rittenhouse decision. It may become even more important that we get a Kyle's Law once the court establishes that there's a Second Amendment right that applies outside the home. And so that may help influence getting even more pro-gun legislation through and stop legislators from wanting to pass anti-gun legislation, knowing that there's now this strong force that can go against what they're trying to shove down our throats. So, look, the fight is on. It's a continuing eternal vigilance, and that's what we have to keep focused on. And as we do, we're making progress, even though there's these forces out there trying to hammer us down, but we are making progress. And that's so, keep in mind, we are going forward. 
So this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.